going on, everybody? I'm your host, Freezing Joey, and this is the Keep It on the PL Premier League podcast. I mean, what an opening weekend we have just witnessed. This has been my most highly anticipated Premier League season in a while, and my goodness, did the matches this weekend show why. Surprise results, multiple six-goal matches, and some Premier League newbies defeating one of the league's most established sides. What a year we're in for if this is the standard of play. And this weekend alone, with all 10 matches played, there were a total of 34 goals scored. Yeah, 34, which is an average of three and a half, almost three and a half goals a game. That's the second highest total return in an opening weekend in the Premier League, with only, I think it was the 2003-2004 opening weekend that had a greater result. I think it was 36 as well. But no, I mean, soccer is boring because who wants to watch a 0-0 draw, right? So first, let me recap this weekend overall for you in a few sentences. Wonderful United, Chelsea, and Liverpool, and woeful City and Arsenal. But let's not get too carried away before we get into detail here. On today's agenda, we're going to review Match Week 1, preview Match Week 2, and then I'll catch you up with any general news that happened this week. Also, for reference, when I say Man of the Match, it's in my opinion, not who was presented the Man of the Match award, although they can and sometimes will be the same individual. So let's recap the same format as we did the previews in order by date and time. So first up was the Friday evening match in which we had Brentford take on Arsenal in a London derby. And with Aubameyang and Lacazette out with sickness, I changed my prediction to a 2-1 Brentford win, which was even bettered by the Bees. What an atmosphere for the opening match this season, by the way. Oh my goodness. You could see and hear what it meant to the Bees to be back in the stadium and in the top flight once more with the stadium buzzing, absolutely buzzing before kickoff, and raucous throughout the 90. It also helped that Brentford have come into the league playing their own style of uncompromising football, which is kind of reminiscent of Wolves and Norwich when they initially came up, with their extremely high energy levels and pressing of Arsenal's midfield and defense soon yielding reward. After a first five minutes where the Gunners were really the better side, the Bees settled into the match and played like the entertaining side that dominated the championship last year. After seeing the ball bounce off Leno's woodwork and out in the 12th minute, Sergi Cano scored after Ethan Pinnock cut out Chambers' poor clearance. Arsenal will say that the ball was over the line and that Brentford shouldn't have been awarded or that Brentford should have been awarded the corner. But my goodness, Canos was having none of it and cut inside to beat Leno at his near post, which is almost unforgivable for Brent Leno. Instead of Arsenal responding, the goal only made the Bees even more confident, and they continued to pressure the Gunners into making mistakes. The only positive in the first half for Arsenal was the performance of Kieran Tierney, who, alongside Emil Smith-Rowe, looked like they were about the only players in an Arsenal kit playing with pride. Lovely scenes ensued as Bukayo Saka was introduced to a standing ovation by the Brentford and Three Lions faithful, but he was not able to make much of an impact in the roughly 30 minutes he had on the pitch. In the 73rd minute, another goal came for Brentford, this time from a throw-in. Going over everyone at the near post, Christian Norgard is the hero for the Bees, as he goes into the box and nods home the header at the far post, nearly ensuring that Brentford would take all three points in their first Premier League match. A few more chances ensued, with Norgard almost netting a second and Pepe forcing a save from David Raya in the closing stages. But the scoreline would remain, and the Bees would go atop the Premier League table for a night. While the stadium is singing Hey Jude, the cameraman finds one supporter of late age with visible tears coming down his face, showing what it means to the club and its supporters. A wonderful performance from the promoted side that gave us a taste of what was to come throughout the weekend. Saturday's matches kicked off with some fireworks. Man United hosted rivals Leeds in an early match, which did not disappoint. 
Bruno Fernandez opened the scoring in the 30th minute after a lovely curled through ball over the top of the Leeds back line from Paul Pogba, who would finish the day with a few more assists to his name. After coming out of the half, Leeds would go on to score through Luke Ayling, whose first touch after receiving the ball from Stuart Dallas allowed him to step into a powerful shot from outside the box, which beat David De Gea in the top left corner. It seemed that Leeds had fought their way back into the match, but parity only lasted for four minutes when Pogo released Greenwood down the left channel, and the youngster kept his composure to finish the chance. From then on, United dominated play and scored seemingly at will against Bielsa's side. Pogba found Fernandes in space in the box once more, and the Portuguese international cut back to score on his left foot by a matter of inches. It appeared that Ailing may have kept the shot out, but goal line technology confirmed that the entire ball had crossed the line before the Leeds United men could clear it. Bruno completed his hat-trick with the best finish of the day. After Victor Lindelof played the ball over the top, he took the shot on in stride and beat Meslier on the half volley with a perfect strike from just inside the box. At this point, the roof was coming off of Old Trafford, and the Red Devils surely had the victory over Leeds. However, this didn't stop them from getting another goal and Pogba nudging a fourth assist when he crossed in from the left to find Fred, who would bury the chance and give United a deserved and statement 5-1 victory at home. Either Fernandez or Pogba could be man of the match, but for me, it's the Frenchman and his four goal involvements out of the five goals scored that makes him my man of the match. Burnley hosted Brighton at Turf Moor and got off to the quickest start of the day. Personally, I never enjoy when Chelsea have to travel to Turf Moor. It's kind of like that black hole that, you know, you kind of don't want to enter because the second you do, you fear the worst. And the early atmosphere in the stadium showed exactly why. Immediately, the Clarets won a corner off Brighton and converted it into a second-minute goal when the excellent James Tarkovsky powered his way through defenders and sent a back post header in after an excellent delivery into the box from Westwood. They came close to doubling their advantage over the South Coast side, but could not when Goodmanson's low strike crashed off the left post and Ben Mee's header was cleared off the line. In the second half, substitute Jacob Motor made an instant impact when he provided the assist for Neil Mopé's 73rd minute equalizer after only being on the pitch for 23 seconds. Mopé scored on his birthday and continues his fine goal scoring form for the club, but they did not stop there. Trussard would make way for McAllister, with Graham Potter looking to snatch all three points with his side on the front foot. His gamble would be rewarded, with McAllister scoring the winner two minutes after coming on. Potter substitute provided a goal and assist, and the side are off to a great start for the new campaign. Although losing, Tarkovsky has to be my man of the match, with eight duels won, three clearances, as well as his early goal for Burnley. Chelsea showed no signs of slowing down after having to play 120 minutes midweek to win the Super Cup, running over Patrick Vieira and Palace by a scoreline of three goals to nil. The hosts' fitness levels were put to the test, but the opening quarter of an hour showed that the European champions were hungry to get off to a strong start, following their excellent form in the latter half of last season. Mason Mount and Christian Pulisic forced Gaeta into two early saves, but the goalkeeper could not do anything to stop the man in the match, Marcus Alonso's free kick after Mount had won a foul just outside the penalty area. The Spaniard has now scored 23 goals for Chelsea, the most for a defender in that time. Chelsea would continue to prod and ask questions of the Palace back line and would be rewarded just before the half for their troubles. Aspilicueta and Mount combined well down the right, with the young Englishman driving a low ball across the face of goal that Guaita could not contain. Pulisic was the first to react, and the American forward simply cannot stop scoring against the Eagles 
after making it five goals in five appearances against the neighboring London club. Chelsea would restrict Palace to four shots, only one of which was on target from Zaha, which was well saved by Mendy and an XG of 0.29 for the Eagles. Then it was a dream come true for Academy product Trevor Chalaba, as he scored an absolute stunner on his Premier League debut. After receiving the ball from Kovacic, Chalaba took a few touches towards the Palace goal before the crowd urged him to shoot from distance, which he did in phenomenal fashion. An extremely powerful low drive arrowed straight into the Eagles' bottom left corner of the goal, which was met with an equally wonderful cheer from the Blues faithful as the player dropped to his knees, overcome by the emotion of scoring his dream debut goal. The Blues would go on to make substitutes and rotate players before this weekend's matchup with Crosstown rivals Arsenal. Then, Everton took on Ralph Hasenhutl's Saints at a jubilant Goodison Park in Rafa Benitez's first match in charge of the club. A bright start from the host nearly saw them take the lead in the first minute of the match, but Allen could only put the rebound off Calvert-Lewin's cross straight into the arms of the Southampton keeper. However, Michael Keane would soon get the ball trapped under his feet, only to have Che Adams pounce and nick the ball onto the path of the rushing Armstrong, who finished beautifully into the top right-hand corner of Pickford's net. What a confident move on his debut, and although Everton were the better side until that point, they found themselves a goal down going into the break. Rafa's words at halftime seemed to strike home though, as Everton started the second half as brightly as they did in the first half, but with a goal to their name this time around. After the corner was initially cleared, Townsend sent the ball back into the 6-yard box and found Richarlison, who put the ball away wonderfully past McCarthy. They nearly scored a few minutes later, with Calvert-Lewin seeing another attempt at goal saved by the Southampton keeper. The moment of the match came with 15 minutes to play, and with the sides in a deadlock with a goal each. It will be played a simple pass to Dekure, who controlled the ball and swiveled with effortless beauty before unleashing a furious strike that beat McCarthy in the top right-hand corner at his near post. An absolutely clinical finish by the Frenchman which saw fans invade the pitch to celebrate with him. Such was the quality of the goal and celebration. Whatever thoughts Saints had of leveling the playing field were soon put to bed by Benitez's men, with Richarlison sending in a wonderful cross that Calvert-Lewin met with a flying header which just about beat McAdams, sealing the three points for the Merseyside club. Man of the match honors go to Richarlison, who would end the 90 with a goal and assist to his name, opening the scoring for Everton and providing the assist for the deciding third goal. Leicester City took on Wolves at home and was probably the most dull match of the weekend. In the opening minutes, the Foxes looked the more lively side, with Tielemans evading Neves and playing in Vardy, who scored from an offside position, which was correctly seen by the referee's assistant. It was the hosts who were dominant throughout most of the first half, with both Madison and Vardy seeing efforts saved and missed throughout the majority of the first half. However, the best chance as of then fell to Adama Traore, who picked up Moutinho's lovely through ball in the middle of the Leicester defense. However, the Foxes were not made to pay for their sloppiness in giving the ball away, as Traore failed to find the bottom of the right-hand corner of Schmeichel's net. It was in turn Wolves that would be punished for their sloppiness in front of goal. Instead of taking a 1-0 lead by a Traore, they found themselves a goal down only a few minutes later when Jamie Vardy produced a moment of pure magic, turning in Ricardo Pereira's cross into the box with a lovely one-touch finish that beat Jose Sa. The finish was sumptuous from a tight angle, and Vardy poked his leg around his marker to make contact and simply guide the ball into the far side of the Wolves' net. His celebration in front of the Wolverhampton supporters is even more classic Vardy, howling at the few thousand supporters that traveled to the King Power to watch the match. Wolves almost net a second with a dipping strike from distance before the end of the half, but the scoreline remained 1-0 after 45 minutes played. 
The second half played out in a completely different manner than the first. Wolves came out extremely lively and were looking to get the equalizer throughout the half. In general, the second half consisted of Wolves pushing the Foxes into their defensive third and then creating a few chances, but ultimately being wasteful in front of goal with Leicester looking to hit their counterparts on transition. Trier was certainly Wolves' best player and a contender for man of the match. However, his miss in the first half ultimately cost the West Midlands club a point. Yuri Tielemans gets the honors for me as he dictated the pace of play well for the Foxes and created a big chance as well. The scoreline would not change and Leicester would get all three points at home on their opening day. Villa and Watford gave everyone a five goal thriller to watch at home, which I certainly was not expecting from any of the two clubs involved. Watford made a brighter start with man of the match Emmanuel Dennis opening the scoring for the home side after just 10 minutes played. Saar played across into Dennis who saw his first shot well blocked by Konsa, but the rebound fell back to him and his second effort found its way past Emiliano Martinez and into the Villa goal. With over 30 minutes played, Villa had yet to create a chance in front of the Watford goal and the hosts were in command. Their grip on the game was tightened when Davis in turn found Saar, whose shot took a big deflection off Mings and looped into the far corner of the Villa goal. After coming out of the break leading by two goals to nil, Watford did not rest on their laurels as many would have expected. Dennis had a shot saved by Martinez in the first 10 minutes of the second half, looking to replicate his early fireworks that took place in the first half. Dennis then went off after picking up a knock, but not before providing a goal and assist for his side. His replacement, Juan Hernandez, would score a minute after coming onto the pitch. Much like in the Brighton match, the substitutes would have an immediate impact on the outcome of the match. The referee allowed advantage to be played as Watford attacked Villa on transition, but Hernandez picked the ball up and cut inside to curl his effort past the Villa keeper, who had no chance due to the pace and placement of the strike. A goal from John McGinn a few minutes later made the score 3-1 in favor of Watford and made the game a whole lot more interesting with the Villa looking to get something out of it. Villa would earn themselves a penalty after a poor challenge in the box by Messina. Danny Ings stepped up and converted the spot kick, but Villa's late game heroics came a little too little too late. And the match would end after 7 minutes of stoppage time with the score being 3-2 to Watford. Liverpool traveled to take on the Canaries at Carroll Road, with the Reds looking as sharp as ever in defense and attack with key members of the squad back. An entertaining first 25 minutes saw Liverpool dominate possession and chances, with Oxlade-Chamberlain and Salah missing opportunities to score, to name a few. Norwich had a few chances on their own, most notably Puki for forcing Allison into a save at the near post. If he had picked his head up, he would have seen the far post run of Rashika and probably ended in a goal for the Canaries. Unfortunately for the home supporters, it would be Liverpool that would draw first blood through Diogo Jota. Salah couldn't control Trent Alexander-Arnold's cross into the box, but it rolled right into the stride of the Portuguese international, who could not miss from inside the six-yard box. Going into the half, it remained 1-0 to the visitors, and the second half would see Firmino come onto the pitch for goal scorer Jota. The substitute would find the back of the net roughly five minutes after coming on when an extremely aware Mo Salah played the rebound of Mane's shot across the face of goal to a completely unmarked Firmino, who would tap in to double the advantage over the Canaries. Sala would score a few minutes after the Brazilian, with a corner initially being dealt with from Norwich, but falling straight to the feet of the waiting Egyptian forward, who took a touch and finished powerfully past him cruel with a left-footed strike from inside the box. There are three things that are certain in life, and they are death, taxes, and Mo Salah scoring on the first match week. 
The goal meant that Salah has now scored on five straight opening day matches, a new record in the Premier League. With two assists and the third goal to his name, Salah easily takes the Man of the Match award in my book in a routine victory over the Norfolk-based club. That brought an end to an exciting Saturday in which there were seven matches played and 25 goals scored, combined with wonderfully full stadiums in both capacity and voice. Sunday afternoon's match was probably the best out of all the matches for me in terms of entertainment quality for the neutral observer. David Moyes and West Ham traveled to St. James's Park in order to take on Steve Bruce and Newcastle. While most of the Toon Army probably had few expectations going into the match, they were treated to an excellent game of football, although their side did eventually lose out. Callum Wilson scored an early header at the near post after a moment of pure brilliance by Alan St. Maximan. The man must work at Hibachi during his off hours as he absolutely cooked Declan Rice with a series of cutbacks and faked crosses, finally getting enough separation to cross the ball in from the right side and finding Wilson making a perfect near post run. St. James burst into life, roaring their approval of their side's early effort and following the announcement of the signing of Joe Willick from Arsenal as well. Cresswell would atone for his earlier mistake that gifted St. Maximan the ball, which led to the opener, when he crossed in from the left into a dangerous area, only to have the ball work its way through the box and into the net without another touch. VAR took a look when it seemed that Suchak may have been offside, but the call on the field was correctly overturned and the goal stood. Wilson nearly scored a beautiful backheel goal and Almiron saw his deflected shot hit the woodwork before Jacob Murphy would add a second for Newcastle. Matt Ritchie's cross towards the back post seemed to hang in the air for too long, but it came down perfectly for Murphy who headed it away from Fabianski in goal and inside the far post. Once more, the stadium erupted in support of what they were watching, however, their joy would not last too much longer, as West Ham came out of the break looking like a much different side. A similar looking goal to Newcastle's second would be scored in the same manner with man of the match Mikael Antonio controlling the ball perfectly before standing his cross up towards the far post, where Saeed Vimbrana was waiting to head it into the net. Antonio would have a header hit the upright before Niles gathered the rebound and Murphy clumsily brought him back down in the box. Upon further review, there wasn't much contact made, which will be the opinion of the Newcastle faithful, but the penalty stood after a VAR review. Antonio stepped up and saw his efforts saved, but Suchek was the quickest to react and put in the rebound to give the Hammers a one-goal advantage over the Magpies. After a beautiful ball over the top to find Ben Rama from Jared Bowen, the winger found Antonio in loads of space on the right and played a beautiful through ball through the Newcastle defense. The striker took a touch to set his shot and finished clinically into the far corner of the goal, sending the traveling West Ham support into an absolute frenzy and silencing the rest of St. James's Park. Ben Rama nearly added his second and West Ham's fifth a few minutes later, but it was cleared well nearly on the goal line by the Magpies. Newcastle would go on to spurn two late chances to half the deficit or level the scoreline. However, it was simply not their day, and the Hammers went on to take all three points after a wonderful performance from Mikael Antonio. The most highly anticipated match of the first week followed, and the first of the big six matchups did not disappoint, unless your name is Pep Guardiola and or you're a Manchester City supporter. Nuno Espiritu Santo took charge of his first Premier League match for Spurs against defending champion City, with Spurs crucially missing their main striker, Harry Kane, who did not even make the bench for the match. Perhaps the most watched player on the pitch was City's record-breaking number 10, Jack Grealish. The England international played well, but not well enough to have a substantial impact. Spurs did a wonderful job of containing his influence and fouled him when he was able to get into a position to make an impact. 
City started well and were winning the ball back from the London side with ease and increasing the pressure on Larissa's goal. It seemed inevitable that City would score until they didn't. City would continue to be wasteful in front of goal, and you could see why Pep is looking to bring in Harry Kane from Tottenham, as their chances were not being put away from the likes of Gunduan, Mares, and Ferran Torres. However, credit must be given where it is due. City did not play poorly because they don't know how to play well. They played poorly because Nuno's tactics were spot on, and the individuals on the pitch put that plan into motion perfectly. Tanganga in particular did extremely well to pocket both Grealish and Sterling down the Spurs' right-hand side. Lucas Moura also had a wonderful night and continues to be one of Spurs' most critical midfield and creative players. His ball out from the back to find Bergwijn led to the opening goal, in which Hyunmin Sung put Furlan Mendy on skates and cut inside to finish a wonderful left-footed curler past Ederson in goal, leaving Tottenham Hotspur Stadium shaking from the noise. The Dutchman nearly added a second shortly after, but failed to convert his big chance, and the game stayed at 1-0. Son would nearly score again on a curled effort to the right of the goal, but a deflection would take it behind for a corner. While City continued to dominate possession, they created very few clear-cut chances, and when they did, damage was limited by Lloris and the rest of the Spurs' back line. Truth be told, City looked threatening, but never like they were really going to score, and their frustration showed in the 91st minute, when Jack Grealish had his temper flare and was shown a yellow card for committing a foul on Lucas, who went to ground relatively easily. The most ironic thing, however, is that Grealish seems to do this week in and week out, so it served as a kind of taste of your own medicine for the record Premier League signing. Eventually, the referee's whistle would blow and the final score would remain at 1-0 to Spurs, who took all three points in their first meeting with the defending champions. Next, we're going to cover the Match Week 2 predictions. So, the first match on Saturday, Liverpool take on Burnley at Anfield, and what I believe will be a 3-0 victory for the Reds. Villa then take on Newcastle at home. Both teams are coming off a loss, but I think that Villa are going to pull off a 2-1 victory against the Magpies. Palace look to shake their 3-0 loss against Chelsea when they face off against Brentford in another London derby. However, I don't think it's going to happen again this week for Vieira's men, and I think Brentford are going to replicate their result from last weekend and win 2-0. Leeds then take on Everton at home, and something that I think is going to end up being a 2-all draw. City then face Norwich at the Etihad. I believe Pep's men are going to come out pretty upset for losing last weekend against Spurs, and cruise to a pretty routine 3-1 victory over the Canaries. Brighton and Watford are both coming off of two victories themselves, and I think this is actually going to end up in a one-all draw. Sunday's matches are a little more interesting. Southampton face Man United at St. Mary's, and I believe United are going to continue their really hot streak at the moment, and probably take this match 3-1. Wolves then host Tottenham as Nuno Espirito Santo faces his old club. Wolves are coming off of a loss against Leicester, and I think they will follow that up with another loss against Spurs, 2-1. Then is the big match of the weekend. Chelsea travels Arsenal to take on the Gunners. Arsenal are coming off of the 2-0 loss to Brentford, and Chelsea are coming off of a 3-0 victory to Palace. In this match, I think Chelsea are going to thrash Arsenal. However, Arsenal do have a way of turning up against Chelsea, even when their team isn't quite so good. I still, however, think that Chelsea are going to shake it with the introduction of Romelu Lukaku and take this match 3-1. The last match is on Monday the 23rd, when Leicester City travel to London to take on West Ham. In form, both of them have won their last match, and I think this is going to end in a 2-all draw. 
and some other general news. I forgot to mention that Villa had brought in Ashley Young from Inter over the summer in my first episode, and I think he is going to be an important signing for them. Joe Willick was announced as a Newcastle United player over the weekend, and so was Rafael Varane for Manchester United. Leicester have also confirmed that Wesley Fofana will miss the entire season after suffering a broken leg in preseason, which I had previously spoken about. Interestingly, there were no draws in the first week of play. Therefore, the table has half the teams on 3 points and the other 10 teams with no points. At the moment, goal difference and goal scored are the two tiebreakers for the sides. The top 6 as it stands are United, Chelsea, Liverpool, West Ham, Everton, and Brentford in that order, and the bottom 3 are Palace, Norwich, and Leeds from 18th to 20th. The table doesn't mean much now, but in a title race where every point will matter, the top clubs vying for the title will not want to give an inch. Next week, we'll recap the results from Match Week 2 and update you on any other general news and live standings. Until then, thank you guys for tuning in, and I will catch you all later. Peace.